get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, July 4th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese presidents addressed the virtual meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, speaking against unilateralism and decoupling. Uh, Palestine suspending all contact with Israel following deadly violence in the West Bank. And the emergence of door-to-door pet services in China. In business, China's NEV sector achieves a production milestone. In sports, we have winners and lunar, uh, losers in round one of Wimbledon. In culture and entertainment, China's movie market is reporting a remarkable first half of 2023. Now the day's top stories. The Chinese president says the trend of peace, development and cooperation is irreversible, addressing a virtual summit of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Xi Jinping said that China is willing to work with other countries to implement the Global Security Initiative and help solve international and regional issues through dialogue. He also said China is ready to work with all parties on the Global Development Initiative and oppose unilateralism and decoupling. President Xi said China welcomes all countries to join the Global Civilization initiative. He also stressed the high-quality development of the Belt and Road as this year marks the 10th year of that initiative. The Shanghai Cooperation Organizations officially welcomed Iran as a full member. The SEO Secretariat in Beijing held a flag-raising ceremony to welcome the organization's ninth member. Iran hopes its SEO membership will unlock a wide array of economic, commercial, and energy cooperation opportunities. Yes, Sir Gillivan has more. Tehran has been calling on SEO member states to establish a mechanism aimed at countering the sanctions imposed by Western countries. During a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin last year, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi emphasized the resilience of countries facing U.S. sanctions such as Iran and Russia, suggesting that through strengthened relationships they can overcome challenges and emerge even stronger. According to Mohammad Radadoui, editor-in-chief of the new news agency, a subsidiary of Iran's Supreme National Security Council, Iran's expectations upon joining the SEO can be summarized in three key points. First, uh, strengthening and expanding the special political, economic and security relations with the member countries of the Shanghai Organization in order to implement the grand strategy of looking to the East. Second, overcoming challenges imposed by Western countries, especially cruel sanctions. Third, playing an effective role in the East-West strategic corridor with the aim of uh, strengthening regionalism and negating the interference of Western governments. Iranian experts have also emphasized the potential for Iran's SEO membership to pave the way for a more balanced international economic framework. On the streets, there is a sense of optimism among the people who anticipate that joining the SEO will bring about new prospects for their country. They expect increased trade, investment, job creation, and overall economic prosperity. Amin Bakhtiari, a Tehran-based sociologist with expertise in analyzing the business landscape and providing consultations to startups and companies, offers insights into the significance of Iran's SEO membership 
amidst the backdrop of the country's challenging economic environment. Uh, Iran's economy is currently facing its uh, most difficult time uh, with various uh, internal and external factors affecting businesses and entrepreneurs and uh, other uh, important uh, actors in Iran uh, business ecosystem. Uh, I believe in this context, uh, Iran's membership in the SCO can be seen as a glimmer of hope. Uh, I uh, think uh, it has the potential to bring about positive contributions to the business landscape by opening doors to new markets and uh, fostering uh, international collaborations and, uh, of course, you know, providing a platform for economic growth. So such uh, opportunities, I believe, can create a ripple effect, stimulating entrepreneurship innovation and job creation and ultimately uh, benefiting the overall sociological fabric of the Iranian society. Some experts believe that Iran's participation in this CO can potentially shape a new economic order, challenging Western hegemony and fostering a more equitable international economic landscape. As Iran embarks on this new chapter, its participation in the SCO reflects a strong commitment to active engagement in regional affairs and fostering of closer ties with like-minded nations. Its expectations from the SCO align harmoniously with its long-term goals of regional integration and stability. For the Beijing Hour, this is Yasser Nazifi Gilevan reporting from Tehran, Iran. SCO member Tajikistan's demonstrated significant economic growth over the past decade, with a growth rate consistently exceeding 7%. Much of this progress can be attributed to the efforts of Chinese investors, who have been promoting Tajikistan's infrastructure and overall economic development. Aliosa Malenkovich reports. For decades, Tajikistan was considered a transportation dead-end in Central Asia. Many roads and railways ended here, without going south to Afghanistan or to other countries. Some of the Tajikistan's main problems are the roads as well as energy supplies and distribution. For years, the country has faced severe electricity shortages. The north of Tajikistan, where 60% of production facilities are located, was left without electricity. And China, in a very short time, built the 500-kilowatt power line there the line that helped the area to survive. There are similar examples across the country. In the capital, Dushanbe, people say China is helping to revive the infrastructure. I am very grateful to China. Look at how our roads have become, how many new facilities are being built, and how new building materials are coming to us. I'm so grateful to China that this country helps us to live and develop in our Tajikistan. Tajikistan hopes to expand roads and electricity lines towards Afghanistan. That would open up numerous development opportunities for both countries. And local experts say it would boost the economy and bring stability to the entire region. First, Tajikistan, it's very important to learn from the Chinese experiences in the construction and development of our own country. We're also supporting peace and stability in the whole region. China is the largest source of foreign investments in Tajikistan's economy. That's why Tajikistan will continue to look towards Beijing, hoping to get help to reshape the region. That was Alyosha Milankovic with a report on how investment from China has changed Tajikistan and the region.
International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grossi has delivered the agency's report on Japan's plan to dump radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Grossi says the assessment is not an endorsement, but is consistent with international safety standards. Rebecca Bundan has more from Tokyo. Following its safety review, the final report, the final conclusion is that the plan is in conformity with international standards. But he says that ultimately it's up to the Japanese government, of course, to make the decision on whether it goes ahead with the plan. He did point out, he did clarify that, that, that that's not something that's up to the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency. That's not its role. But he also talked about the fact that should Japan decide to go ahead with this plan to release that wastewater from the plant, that the IEA very much wants to be there. It wants to have a presence at the plant itself and actually continue to review what's going on to make sure that this is a safe operation. It still wants to, to play a role in making sure that this is a safe procedure, uh, given the, the controversy around it and all those concerns that are ongoing. That was Rebecca Bundan reporting. China's urged both Japan and the IAEA to act in a responsible manner over Japan's water discharge plan. Huang Yue has reactions from the foreign ministry. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning said that Japan's decision to discharge the radioactive water into the ocean has aroused widespread international concern. Mao Ning said the International Atomic Energy Agency is at the invitation of the Japanese side and the scope of the mandate is limited uh, within the evaluation of the plan itself. So the report is not a, a certificate or the uh, license for the Japanese side to continue its plan. N neither can it prove that it's the only way, the safest way or the most reliable way to dispose of the water. Uh, Mao Ning also said that China uh, once again urges the Japanese side to take the responsibilities for all humankind and the future generations to suspend the plan and to uh, discuss on other possible options. That was Huang Yue reporting. South Korea says IAEA chief Rafael Grossi will visit the country after his trip to Japan. He'll explain the, uh, explain the findings from the organization's report into Japan's plan to dump the nuclear wastewater into the ocean. Shoppers in South Korea are now stockpiling salt. Authorities have also banned imports of marine products from Fukushima. Uh, Suman Yu has more in Seoul. When you go to grocery shopping these days in Seoul, you can easily find empty sea salt shelves with sold out or out of stock signs placed on the shelves instead. Now this bulk buying or panic buying practices, let's say stockpiling 20 kilograms of sea salt started a few weeks ago when Japan began to carry out a two week test run on the process of discharging water containing tritium. Now sea salt prices here in Seoul jumped more than 10% on year last month. We're really paying close attention to the possible repercussions with the impending discharge charge. The South Korean government again reassured that seafood imports from Fukushima will be indefinitely banned until people are no longer concerned about it. And earlier quoting the floor leader of the ruling PPP, whether it takes 10, 20, 30 or even 100 years, the duration is not important and the South Korean government will make preparations from the standpoint that anything unsafe should not take place with regard to people's food. So apparently the South Korean government still stands firm on this very issue of lifting the comprehensive import ban on the Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant that has been in place since 2013, but with the IAEA's uh, chief planning to visit South Korea after his trip to Japan, uh, this will become another thorny issue here in South Korea. That was Sumin Yu on South Korea's response to Japan's planned release of nuclear contaminated water. Coming up, Palestine is suspending all contact with Israel.
the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Twelve minutes past the hour. Palestine says it's suspending all contact with Israel following Israeli raids in the West Bank that have killed at least eight Palestinians and wounded scores more. On Monday, the Israeli army waged a large-scale attack against the northern West Bank city of Jenin. Israel says the operation is an extensive counterterrorism effort aimed at destroying infrastructure and preventing、uh, militants from using the refugee camp as a base. Nur Harazin has more from Gaza. Hundreds of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip organized a set and protest on Monday, condemning the Israeli military operation on Jenin, a refugee camp in the West Bank. Dozens of officials from Palestinian political factions participated in the protest. Hazem Qasem, Hamas's spokesperson in Gaza Strip, expressed his anger at the silence of the international community on the repeated Israeli invasions on Jenin. This large-scale military operation in Jenin is a dangerous escalation against all Palestinian people. The Israeli occupation bears full responsibility for the repercussions of this attack and the resistance there. They will fight this occupation attack with all they can. The demonstrators in Gaza held Palestinian flags and banners of solidarity with Jenin. They chanted slogans calling for an end to the Israeli operation against the camp. We send a message directed to all the silent world about the repeated attacks on the Jenin camp and against the Palestinians in Jenin. Please stop this aggression on our defenseless people and stop this destruction, killings, and massacres that take place every day against our Palestinian people in Jenin. Daoud Shahab, the spokesman for the Islamic Jihad movement in Palestine, threatened in a press release on Monday that the Palestinian resistance factions are fully prepared to escalate the conflict if the Israeli military operation on Jenin camp continues. That means firing rockets from the Gaza Strip. This was Israel's second military operation on Jenin in less than two weeks. Before dawn on Monday, drones targeted an apartment deemed by the Israeli Defense Forces to be terrorist infrastructure. The Israeli army said the house served as a command center for Palestinian militants. And that was Nur Harazin reporting. Following the clashes, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres urged that all military operations be conducted with full respect for international humanitarian law. The Arab League has condemned Israel's operations. Unrest in France is showing signs of easing, with crowds gathering at town halls across the country to show solidarity with local governments. The mayor of Nanterre, where a 17-year-old driver was fatally shot by the police, says violence in the city has abated. The killing of that teenager sparked six nights of turmoil. The number of people arrested is down significantly to 200 from 1,400 at the height of the protests. Ross Cullen has more from Paris. Rallying against the rioting. The mayor of Paris and other officials staged a protest of their own on Monday against the ongoing looting and arson in France. We have unreservedly condemned violence and attacks against property and people here. Nothing can justify violence. 
Over the weekend, the mayor's house in a southern Paris suburb was attacked. A stolen vehicle was rammed into the building, with the politician's wife suffering a broken leg as she fled. An increased police presence was imposed by the government to try to suppress the violence. Officers were sent to the Champs-Élysées in Paris on Saturday to deter people from trying to target businesses on the famous boulevard. It's one of the world's most renowned streets, usually popular with tourists at this time of year. The south of France is also one of the country's most visited areas, but several countries have issued travel advisories following the rioting. China's foreign ministry advised caution to its citizens after a bus carrying Chinese tourists in Marseille had its windows smashed. We once again remind Chinese citizens in France to pay close attention to the local security situation. Go out cautiously, stay away from demonstrations and violent conflict areas and strengthen security precautions. Meanwhile, a certain calm is starting to return to Nanterre, the western suburb of Paris, where 17-year-old Naël was shot dead by police last week. The government will be watching to see how the situation develops. It will be hoping that the de-escalation we saw on Sunday continues. That was Ross Cullen reporting. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says uh, his country will not lift its opposition to Sweden joining NATO unless uh, Sweden stops harboring groups that Ankara considers to be terrorists. Our positions, expectations and promises that were made have all been clear. At the moment, we defend the same principles that we defended last year. We just want them to remain faithful to what they signed. Instead of losing time with procrastinating tactics, it would be wiser, more beneficial and more worthy of seriousness of a state to keep the promises that were made. Sweden and Finland applied for NATO membership last year, ditching long-held policies of military non-alignment after the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Applications for membership must be approved by all NATO members, but Turkey and Hungary have yet to clear Sweden's bid. Turkey has said that Sweden needed to take additional steps against supporters of the outlawed Kurdistan Workers' Party and members of the network that Ankara holds responsible for a 2016 coup attempt. Turkey treats both groups as terrorist organizations. Iran's foreign ministry says Saudi Arabia will reopen its embassy in Tehran soon. The foreign ministry also said that Iranian President Ebrahim Raisi will travel to Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia, but did not mention specific dates. Iran has reopened its embassy in Riyadh along with its consulate general and representative office of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Jeddah. Uh, the reopening of the Saudi embassy in Tehran has been delayed as repairs take place on the building, which was damaged during protests in 2016. Riyadh and Tehran began to mend ties under China's mediation efforts. They agreed to restore diplomatic relations during a meeting in Beijing in March. U.S. capital is running out of resources to house migrants as they continue to arrive. Nearly 200 busloads of migrants have arrived in Washington from Texas or Arizona over the past year. State officials, unhappy with President Joe Biden's border policy, have paid for the trips, but migrants still face challenges when they arrive at their destination. Benji Heyer has more. Javier Castillo-Pinto arrived in the United States in May after a months-long, arduous journey through Central America. The 41-year-old left his family behind in Venezuela in search of a better life for him and his children. But having made it across the U.S.-Mexico border and all the way to Washington, D.C., life since 
has been far from easy. My feelings, being here in the United States, away from my family, are on the floor. I have three kids and my wife in Venezuela. I've had 20 years of marriage and we've never been separated until now. It was a very difficult decision. Javier's been living for weeks in what he describes as a bug-ridden and overflowing homeless shelter. Yet he doesn't have the money to leave. Without asylum status, he can't legally work. That, in a sense, is the crux of the challenge. Without a job, thousands of migrants are having to rely on housing and health care paid for by the district in order to survive. They're living in limbo, unable to sustain themselves, and it's costing the government millions. Since its creation last year, Washington's Office of Migrant Services has spent more than $15 million on lodging, food and other aid, according to the Department of Human Services. This Days Inn is one of the hotels under contract, closed to the public, packed full of migrants. The D.C. Council is seeking federal reimbursement to foot the bill, but that emergency cash only covers 30 days of temporary housing. Many stay for much longer. And new rules at the southern border aimed at dissuading unlawful entry haven't deterred thousands more asylum seekers. A surge there might see expenses here climb to over $50 million by the end of the summer. For nonprofits like SAMU, in part funded by the state, it's crucial that financial constraints don't hinder the ability to offer humanitarian support. The people are still coming. They have always come in different numbers. We are prepared and ready to meet their needs no matter how many we have. That will come as a relief to Javier. I didn't choose Washington, he tells us. Washington chose me. He remains optimistic, yet the burden of proof to be granted asylum is high. The cost to house migrants is spiralling. If his claim is denied, he could be deported. An American dream turned nightmare. That was Benji Heyer in Washington, D.C. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, door-to-door -door pet services in China. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. 23 past the hour. With their busy schedules and long working hours, many pet owners struggle to find time to take their pets to appointments or complete tasks such as regular feeding and grooming. To address the issue, the door-to-door -door pet service industries emerged as a necessary alternative, offering convenience to pet owners in many cities across China. Zheng Tao has more. Known as pet sitting, this service allows pet owners to ensure their pets are well cared for while they are away from home. Professional pet sitters visit the pet's homes regularly, providing food, water, exercise and companionship to ensure that pets receive the care they need. 23-year-old Chen Xiaoyu is a pet sitter. Before entering the house, we will wear shoe covers and gloves. We also take photos of the pets and send them to the owners. If there is no monitoring camera in the house, we live stream the whole process with the owners. Tam normally plays a while with the pets after the service is done. The whole process takes around 40 minutes. The 23-year-old says the love for animals prompted her to take the job. I think for me, I prefer this job. That's the main reason for me to do the job. 
For pet owners, especially those who travel a lot, such services are quite necessary. Chunan owns two dogs and three cats. I often have to go on business trips, which means my cats and dogs are always left alone at home. If I send them to pet shops, they would be locked in cages. My cats are scared of water and unfamiliar environments. It would stress them out if they were taken outside. They should feel a lot safer at home. To ensure that pets receive appropriate care from qualified individuals, online pet services often employ experienced professionals with specialized skills and knowledge. Wang Zhihao runs a pet service platform called Cat Dad Arrives in Xi'an. He has been providing door-to-door pet services since last year. During the Chinese New Year, Wang helped feed cats and dogs in over 4,000 households. Firstly, our employees need to have their own pets so that they have first-hand experience with pet raising. Secondly, their ID numbers are recorded on our platform. Thirdly, they are also required to make a deposit to the platform. Fourthly, we have a comprehensive training program for these employees. The company now boasts a substantial user base with over 150,000 registered members, supported by a team of more than 200 staff members. The founder plans to expand into various pet-related sectors to meet the growing demand in the market. Figures indicate that the number of pet owners in China is predicted to exceed 100 million in the coming years. Moreover, with a population of 240 million singles in China, there is a huge space for potential growth in the pet market. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. High-quality developments, a primary task of modernization in China. In Hainan, research collaborations encouraging agricultural innovation at a science and technology facility. Guo Tianqi has more. Sanya is the southmost city of Hainan Island, and Yazhou Bay is one of China's most important agricultural and deep-sea scientific research bases. Since it was completed in 2019, more than 8,000 scientists have passed through its doors. China's cotton is mainly produced in areas with a temperate climate, but the light and warm weather make conditions in Sanya suitable for the development of new crop varieties. Wang Yaping, a PhD candidate from Henan University, oversees four laboratories, maintaining constant temperature, humidity and light levels as part of her study on disease resistance in plants. Her research partner is a master's student from the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Science. I met him in a student club activity and he was very excited to see the cotton leaf was wilting as control, so he joined. Collaboration between universities and other agricultural and marine science research institutes is very common here. China Agricultural University, Zhejiang University, Shanghai Jiaotong University are among those to set up academies here. These research institutions were once located in different provinces and very far away from each other. But now we're all here. Through communication, we inspire each other. Courses also cover the development of new varieties of cotton, corn, soybean, and even watermelon. Industry-leading enterprises such as China Seed have moved their headquarters to Yazhou Bay to take advantage of scientific resources on offer here. I come from Pakistan and my major is crop sciences. 
uh, I am working on to extend the shelf life of the dragon fruit. I want to be a good scientist uh, and I hope to get a job here in China. Hainan's visa-free policy covering close to 60 countries is also helping facilitate international academic exchanges. That was Guo Qianxi in Sanya. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 21 degrees overnight. We'll be getting sunny skies and 36 on Wednesday. Chongqing's at 21 overnight, then sunny and 33. Last is 21, or rather 12 this evening. Light rain and 23 tomorrow. Hong Kong's down to 27 degrees. Then thunder showers and 32 on Wednesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese president's addressed the virtual meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, speaking against unilateralism and decoupling. Palestine is suspending all contact with Israel following deadly violence in the West Bank. And we looked at the emergence of door-to-door -door pet services in China. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come in business, China's NEV sector achieves a production milestone. In sports, we have winners and losers in round one at Wimbledon. In culture and entertainment, China's movie market is reporting a remarkable first half of 2023. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. Now check in the day's headlines. The Chinese president's calling for efforts to safeguard regional peace and ensure common security. Xi Jinping joined other leaders of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in an online summit. He also called on SEO members to focus on cooperation to speed up economic recovery. He reiterated the high-quality construction of the Belt and Road, as this year marks the 10th anniversary of that initiative. China's ambassador is urging the United States to address China's major concerns over bilateral trade and economic issues. Ambassador Xiafang met U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and emphasized the principle of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation, as proposed by Chinese President Xi Jinping, to treat bilateral ties. Yellen's scheduled to visit China later this week. The U.S. Treasury Department says Yellen will discuss how the U.S. views its economic relationship with China. She'll also meet senior Chinese 
Chinese officials and representatives from leading American firms. China and Honduras have started negotiations on a free trade agreement. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says the country is ready to work with Honduras to further tap cooperation potential and promote mutually beneficial partnership. The ministry also describes the negotiations as part of the major consensus reached by the two heads of state during Honduran President Xi Omera Castro's visit to China in June. China and Honduras established diplomatic ties on March 26th of this year. Crowds have gathered at town halls across France to show solidarity with local governments following riots sparked by the police killing of a teenage driver. Nael was in my son's class. I know him like that. A child like my son is a child. That's why I'm here. I'm just here to listen to what the mayor is going to say and express my feelings. It breaks your heart to lose a 17-year-old child, but in consequences like that. Patrick Jari is the mayor of Nanterre, where 17-year-old Nahel was fatally shot by police last week during a traffic stop that sparked nationwide riots. Uh, the mayor says violence in the city has abated. It is clearly that this overwhelming emotion that has spread throughout our town and France, and maybe even other parts of the world, and there's this strong demand for justice that came out right away, because we weren't really sure if justice would actually be served. Fires and vandalism continued to target public buildings, cars and municipal trash cans overnight into Monday. The riots appeared driven by a teenage backlash. The interior minister says the average age of those arrested was only 17. The minister adds that children as young as 12 and 13 have been detained for attacking law enforcement and for setting fires. Russia is reporting a series of delays on the repairs to its only aircraft carrier. TASS News Agency reported that the Admiral Kuznetsov may re-enter service by the end of next year. That ship was launched in 1985. It's been due to undergo a refit that would have seen it operational this year. One military serviceman was killed and 12 people were injured by a fire on board that ship in 2019. Senegal's president's announced that he'll not pursue a third term in next year's elections and will instead respect the country's two-term limit. Macky Sall's decision not to pursue a third term was met with an outpouring of emotion by supporters outside the ruling party's headquarters in an upscale neighborhood in the capital, Dakar. Is his choice and is our leader. We accept his decision and we will support whomever he nominates. But he should have served a second five-year term because he has every right to do so. But he has decided to do so and we bow to his will. He promised the Senegalese and he has kept his word. He's the president of the republic and it's not a good thing for a president to renounce himself. He's a young man and he said that no one could serve more than two consecutive terms. So he limited the number of terms. If he had decided to serve a third term, it would have been complicated for the country. Regional leaders, including the president Niger, have praised Saul's decision. Unrest last month was sparked by the sentencing of popular opposition leader Osmani Sonko to two years in jail. The leader was charged with rape. He's denied allegations, calling it politically motivated to stop him from running in the upcoming elections. Riders were angered by what they saw as Saul's serial sidelining of opponents. They torched buildings and vehicles and threw stones at police who responded with tear gas. And at least 16 people died in the clashes.
That's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's NEV sector achieves a production milestone. Want to learn about world affairs in a more laid-back and accessible manner? Join insiders, experts, and analysts in the casual setting of the chat lounge to hear their personal experiences and opinions on major events and hot issues. Subscribe to Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thirty-seven past the hour. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. Chinese mainland markets didn't move all that much. The Shanghai Composite Index ended uh, pretty much flat. The Shenzhen component uh, edged a third of one percent higher. Rare earth metals producers, particularly uh, anyone mining gallium or germanium, shot up after China announced export controls on the metals, which uh, are used in chip production uh, and electric vehicles. The Ministry of Commerce says uh, the restrictions are to protect national security and will take effect on August the first. A couple of germanium mining companies based in China's southern Yunnan province were up very strongly. Chinese chip producers also gained ground on the news.、Uh, Giantec Semiconductors led the gains on Shanghai's star market, rising 15 percent. Will Semiconductor uh, also uh, a strong performer, adding more than four percent. But real estate stocks were down, providing、uh, quite a lot of downward pressure on the markets、uh, as investors took some quick profits. Property developers were the worst performing sector on the Shanghai Composite. We saw Poly Developments losing about three percent and Gemdale down、uh, by two point two percent. And、that was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained around six tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was down almost one percent. China's new energy vehicle industries achieved its 20 million production milestone. In the first five months of this year, NEVs accounted for more than 30 percent of China's total automobile sales. The popularity of Chinese NEVs overseas in the first five months has propelled China ahead of Japan as the world's largest auto exporter. Back to land port between China and Kazakhstan registered robust growth in cross-border freight in vehicles in the first five months of 2023. It's benefited from a green channel that facilitates rapid customs clearance, particularly for fresh and perishable farm produce. Stats from Tatchung Customs shows that from January to May, the export value of agricultural products through the port reached 148 million yuan, or 20.4 million U.S. dollars. The import value hit over six million dollars. Uh, Zhang Haiyu with Tatchung Customs says that Green Channel has provided a convenient service. To ensure smooth and efficient operation of the Green Channel, the Tatchung Customs Office monitors the real-life food export situation within its jurisdiction. We've optimized the Green Channel for fresh and perishable agricultural products, and have taken a number of support measures, including advanced declaration, pre-booked inspection, and expedited testing services to coordinate declaration, inspection, testing, and certification. Effectively shortening the clearance time for agricultural products. The facilitation measure for rapid clearance has benefited local farmers and businesses and created new opportunities for international trade. 
It's been four years since 5G technology was put into commercial use in China, and the country has emerged as the world's largest 5G market. GSMA, the world's leading private mobile industry association, says that 5G connections in China accounted for more than 60% of the global total as of the end of last year. Cheng Shishuan has more. 5G is not new, but developers are continuing to come up with new applications. Welcome to Shanghai. Chinese tech giant Huawei has just released a new 5G telephone function that will allow callers to use quick translations if the person on the other end of the call speaks a different language. I want to book a taxi. The person answering the phone can get a real-time translation on their phone screen, and both sides can create customized cartoon avatars. Based on traditional video and audio phone calls, we've developed many new special services, such as video animation, screen illumination and real-time translation. The system now can support translation of more than 200 languages. Mobile Industry Association GSMA estimates that by 2025, China will become the world's first market to have 1 billion 5G connections. Last week, the association signed an initiative called Open Gateway with three Chinese telecom carriers, inviting them to join its member networks and allow tech developers to create applications that will be shared globally. We now have 30 mobile operators, including China Mobile, China Telecom, and China Unicom. We are thrilled. This is going to be absolutely fantastically exciting to launch APIs that are for business. To use our 5G networks, it's a sharing that gives the power and the, the strength of this initiative. 5G, of course, in China, is a fantastic success story. It is by far the fastest developed technology at all times. 5G is is here to stay for a long time, targeting more business-to-business segments. The organization estimates that this year 5G data is close to taking up 60% of Shanghai's total network traffic. Huawei last week proposed the concept of a 5.5G era, which would protect telecom operators' previous investment in 5G, while also improving network performance by 10 times. The company said it will launch a complete set of commercial 5.5G network equipment in 2024. That was Zhang Shishuan reporting. The world's uh, uh, world's biggest oil exporters, Saudi Arabia and Russia, have deepened oil cuts over concerns of an economic slowdown worldwide. Saudi Arabia said it would extend its voluntary cut to one million barrels per day till the end of August and possibly beyond. Shortly after the announcement, Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said that Moscow would cut its oil exports by 500,000 barrels per day in August. The OPEC Plus grouping has already been cutting supply to boost prices. Since last November, in a cautionary move to counter a global economic slowdown and rising U.S. supply, the president of Germany's central bank says the European Central Bank should further hike interest rates to fight inflation. The eurozone inflation gauge fell to 5.5 percent in June from 6.1 percent in May, but it's still far、uh, above the ECB's 2 percent target. Uh, the World Internet of Things、uh, convention in Beijing has announced this year's top 500 companies. They were selected from enterprises specializing in IoT technology and the digital economy from over 100 countries. Wang Mengjie reports. A fully interconnected new economy means leaving no one behind. This year's top 500 companies on the IoT list are attracting global eyes as they work together to bridge the digital divide and ensure people have meaningful access. 
The top 500 enterprises on the list account for 70% of the output of the digital economy around the world, promoting the development of the world economy amid geopolitical threats and recovery difficulties. The summit is a reminder to the world that the digital economy has become a major driving force for technological development and secure futures. Companies like Huawei, IBM are on the list not for the first time. But there are about 100 companies that are new faces, showing trends in the digital economy and technology. We are committed to the IoT connections to promote a better business environment and will further advance the brand development both home and abroad. Meanwhile, representatives from international organizations, officials and scholars gather at our summit warn potential problems facing the development of IoT digital economy. I think IoT has its own challenges, but the benefits from IoT um, outweigh the, the, these challenges. China, uh, especially through the Brick and Road, um, Belt and Road Initiative, the Global Development Initiative, is already helping countries like, like Nicaragua move forward. Participants stress the need for continuous improvement of laws and regulations to protect user data and privacy, calling for cooperation between IoT communities, experts and industry peers. The summit readout suggests that China's number of IoT connections were near 10 billion by 2026. China has also pledged to develop the IoT-supported digital infrastructure to what it describes as a globally advanced level by 2025. That was Wang Mengjia reporting. Well, Chinese trains have completed 4,500 trips along the new international land-sea trade corridor in the first six months of this year. The routes expanded to 118 stations in 61 cities across 17 Chinese provinces. The trains hauled 225,000 containers, representing a 9% increase from a year earlier. South Korea's consumer inflation showed more than expected and hit a 21-month low in June, uh, weighed by falling oil and agricultural product prices. The consumer price index rose 2.7% last month from a year earlier, compared with an increase of 3.3% in May. It softened for a fifth consecutive month and marked the weakest annual increase in September 2021. Core inflation, which excludes volatile prices for food and energy, slowed to 3.5% down from 3.9% a month before, marking the slowest annual rise since May of 2022. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming up in sports, uh, winners and losers in round one at Wimbledon. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now turning to sports and here's Yang Guang. Thank you Shane. In tennis, Novak Djokovic made a solid start to his Wimbledon title defense following a straight set win over Pedro Kachin in the opening rounds. A rain break didn't affect Djokovic's pace as the second seed advanced after a third set tiebreak win. You know, it was a solid performance. I think, I mean, I know I can always play better, and but at the same time, after a long clay court season, coming into uh, Wimbledon without any preparation tournament lead-up event, uh, any official match on grass, it was kind of expected that I probably not be at my 100% of the level of my tennis. So. I've been in these situations before, so hopefully as the tournament progresses, I'll raise my level as well. 
There were also no slip-ups for Yannick Sinner and Kasper Ruud as both reached the second round. But 11th seed Felix Auxiliasimi crashed at the hands of Michael Mull. Veteran Venus Williams is also out, sent packing in the loss to Elena Svitlina. Chinese women's players had mixed results on the opening day at Wimbledon. Wang Xinyu had a breakthrough by reaching the second round of the grass court tournament for the first time beating qualifier Storm Panther 6-3-6-1. The 21-year-old fired 31 winners to coast to victory in one hour and five minutes. We've met several times on the tour and I'm quite familiar with her game. I focused on some key aspects of the match, targeting her weaknesses. She's a player with a lot of pace, so I must play more aggressively to gain the upper hand. She must have been confident after three victories in the qualification round. I knew I needed to make a good start and play point by point. Wang will now face the former Australian Open champion Sophia Cannon, who prevailed in an all-American clash against Coco Gauff in three sets. Chinese players Zheng Qingwen, Yuan Yue, and Zhu Lin all saw their Wimbledon campaigns end in the first round. Zheng, the highest-ranked Chinese player in 25th, lost to Katerina Siniakova. Zheng, who reached the Wimbledon third round last year, made 22 unforced errors in a straight-sets defeat. I need to work on my endurance and be adapted to my new team. Having a new coach is not easy. At least for me, it didn't raise my game immediately for the victories. It's a process. We still need some time to build the chemistry. Zhu Ling was unable to shake world number one Iga Sviantek and lost in a quick 6-1-6-3 match. Yuan Yue put up a convincing performance but came up short in deciding set against Australian Open champion Victoria Azarenka. Chinese table tennis star Wang Chuqin has become the new men's world number one in the latest world rankings. Wang replaced compatriot Fan Zhendun, who had been at the top for 142 consecutive weeks. On the women's side, Sun Yingsha leads the top six all-Chinese list. The top-ranked non-Chinese peddler is Japanese player Mima Ito in seventh. Turning to cycling, Belgian rider Jasper Philipsen carried his early-season form into the Tour de France to win the third stage. With the assistance of his teammates, Philipsen came out on top in a long sprint, beating Phil Bauhaus and Caleb Ewan. Yeah, it was tense, but it's a Tour de France and uh, there uh, are no presents to nobody. So I think everybody goes uh, all in and uh, yeah, I think I can uh, yeah, I can be really happy with our team performance today. We had a yeah, great lead out with, uh, yeah, I think Jonas uh, took the first part and then uh, Mathieu did a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, I'm then really happy to uh, keep it to the finish line. Opening stage winner Adam Yates retained overall leader's yellow jersey as the race entered France through the Basque countryside in Spain. There was some concern that the tour could be affected following a wave of rioting in France, but no incidents were reported along the road or at the finish. Saudi Arabia has landed another football icon after Al Atifak appointed Liverpool great Steven Gerrard as club manager. The former England captain is the latest star name to be lured to the Saudi Pro League. Gerrard hasn't managed the team since being fired by Aston Villa last season when the club was just one place above the Premier League relegation zone. Al Atifak is yet to sign a major player in an off-season that has seen Karim Benzema, Angelo Kanti and a number of stars from Europe's top leagues head to the country. 
Brazilian women's football star Marta says the upcoming World Cup in Australia and New Zealand will be her last one. The 37-year-old made her World Cup debut in 2003 and is Brazil's all-time leading scorer with 117 goals. She has won the Copa America three times but is yet to lift the World Cup. Marta had surgery on her knee last year and returned to the national team in February after an 11-month absence. Croatian midfielder Marcelo Brozovic has joined Cristiano Ronaldo at the Saudi club Al Nasser. The move means Brozovic will go from having played in the Champions League final in, her last, in his last match with Inter Milan to a league that is just starting to emerge on the international stage. Media reports say the transfer fee was 18 million euros and Brozovic has agreed to a three-year deal. And finally, in the Chinese Super League, Shanghai Port has extended its lead on top of the table despite a one-all draw at Shandong Taishan. Shandong went ahead in the 42nd minute through Chen Pu's goal on a counter-attack. Marwana Fellaini doubled lead with a powerful header, but goal was disallowed due to a foul, which resulted in chaos on the field as Shandong expressed discountance. Shanghai got the equalizer in the 74th minute with Li Shenlong's tap-in. Shanghai Port is five points ahead of second place to Shanghai Shenhua. Elsewhere, Chengdu Rongcheng conceded its first league defeat this season at the hands of Beijing Guoan after a 1-0 loss. Wuhan 3 Towns beat Shenzhen FC 3-1. Thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Yang Guang with Sports. You're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in culture, China's movie market is reporting a remarkable first half of 2023. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Uh, 54 minutes past the hour. In culture and entertainment, the Chinese movie market had a remarkable first half of 2023, with box office revenue exceeding 3.6 billion U.S. dollars. And that's a yearly increase of 53%. The top three films for the first half of this year were Zhang Yimou's suspense comedy Full River Red, Chinese sci-fi blockbuster The Wandering Earth 2, and uh, the currently screening crime film Lost in the Stars. Three films have grossed over 1.4 billion U.S. dollars. Meantime, eight of the top 10 films in the first half were domestic productions, accounting for 93% of the total box office revenue. China Film News Deputy Chief Editor Zhang Jinfeng says he expects the growth of uh, the movie market to continue. What's more important than the box office earnings in the first half is the greater confidence we gained in the movie market. Our movie market has now basically recovered to the level before the pandemic, meaning that moviegoers are now very relieved to return to the cinemas. With the perfect ending of the Dragon Boat Festival holiday, we can predict that July may bring us a new record high for single-month box office earnings during the summer vacation. Stats also show that uh, female moviegoers accounted for over half of ticket buyers in the first half of 2023. The Journey Through Civilizations exhibition is uh, now open at the United Nations in New York. That two-week exhibition showcases the vibrant cultures of China and other Asian countries. Nathan King has details. 
from high tech representing civilizations thousands of years old to modern twists on ancient civilizations in this exhibit. Journey through civilizations is a very modern take on a very old number of civilizations that date back 5,000 years that make up both ancient and now modern day China. This exhibit, of course, is in the heart of the UN Secretariat building, that iconic United Nations building that hangs over the East River 39 stories high, uh, and really in the middle of the Secretariat building where people from all over the world know a little bit about China, but not always a lot. So we're asking them questions all week. What do you know about Chinese inventions? What do you know about civilization in China? What do you know about medicine? What do you think about China when you first hear the word? Yeah, yeah. the first thing that comes to say is uh, one population. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> A lot of people. Yeah, the, 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 the ancient culture, how they're able to preserve that even in the modern day. Yeah, so that's, that's something. You know, apart from, uh, I mean, the culture has not been eroded by modernization. So they set the standard using their own Asian culture as a standard. Yeah, I've seen the motorways and the railway lines they've been building. Right. They're building literally thousands of kilometers a year. And I'm comparing that to some of my US colleagues here saying they're going to get so far ahead of the US because they're investing in these infrastructures and the foundations, which I feel in other countries have been let to rot somewhat. And that's what we do here. We try and tell China's stories better. And here, at the heart of the UN with these beautiful pieces of art and modern day technology. We will be doing that and we'll be bringing you as much as possible this week. That was Nathan King in New York. Uh, filmmakers are working on a documentary about the herd of wild Asian elephants in Yunnan province that captivated the world's attention back in 2020. The Elephant Odyssey is scheduled for release next year. In March of 2020, a herd of 16 wild Asian elephants departed from their habitat in Shishuangbana and embarked on an extraordinary journey north. Over the course of uh, one and a half years, they trekked more than a thousand kilometers before eventually returning home. Their epic journey, monitored by drones and streamed online, turned the elephants into internet celebrities. We're at 58 past the hour in Beijing's at 21 degrees overnight, sunny with a high of 36 on Wednesday. Chongqing's down to 21 as well. Uh, tomorrow, sunny, turning to overcast in 33. Last is at 12 this evening, then a light rain in 23 degrees. Hong Kong dips to 27. Thunder showers in 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 22 overnight, a light rainfall in 27 Wednesday. Islamabad's at 22 this evening, then some rainfall in 32. Bangkok's down to 27 degrees, then a light rain in 34. In Africa, Nairobi Nairobi has a light rain and 21 degrees Celsius. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 11 this evening, then a light rain turning to sunny and 22. Auckland's 13 overnight, then a light rain and 14 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese presidents addressed the virtual meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization speaking against unilateralism and decoupling. And we looked at the emergence of door-to-door -door pet services in China. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? 
Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the Baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.